Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message. Good morning. It's nice to be here. Hey, how you doing? Nice to see my parents. Uh, I think that's them behind those masks. Uh, And I'm glad to see them wearing those masks. Um, It's an honor to be here. Uh, I I love this church, love your pastor, uh, love what you are doing in your community, love the fact that lives are being transformed. You've probably, just from this few minutes in the pulpit, you could probably tell that my delivery style is a little bit different than your pastor's. Um, I probably won't spit near as much. Uh, I won't sweat as much. Um, but I think that, well, one, I know we have the same commitment to the same Jesus. We have the same reliance on the Holy Spirit, and we have the same love for people and for God's Word. So if you'll listen this morning, I think God will speak into your hearts. Quite frankly, at the end of the day, when you leave here, I don't care if you remember anything that I've said. But I hope you leave here with a greater love in your heart for Jesus. Because ultimately, that's all that's important. So um, I don't get to travel with my family as much as I would like. Most of my kids are grown and gone now. And Amy is, has her own ministry where we're living right now. And so she doesn't get to travel with me a lot. So I would like to take a few moments, if it's all right, and introduce you to them. And so if you put the, there we are. We look exactly the same, don't we? Um, yeah, uh, that was one or two years ago. Uh, this just shows how long we've been doing missions. Um, actually, our very first prayer card, these are the little cards we print with our names and pictures on them so that people will pray for us. And um, this was actually our second prayer card. Our first one didn't even have kids. That shows how long we've been doing this. Um, but we're a lot cuter in this picture. Um, you know, so um, that's my beautiful bride. Uh, you'll see here at the next slide shows her up. She's, she's a sweetheart. She's the strongest woman I know. Very careful to always say strong and not tough. You know, because toughness can be a condition of the heart. It can be hardness. And I don't think God calls any of us to hardness, but there is a strength that manifests itself in gentleness. As a matter of fact, if you read through the fruits of the spirit we've talked jason talked this morning about the gifts of the spirit if you talk about the fruits of the spirit which every single believer should have and i just said it wrong it's not the fruits of the spirit it's the fruit of the spirit because it's not like the gifts of the spirit where you may have the gift of tongues you may have the gift of interpretation you may have the gift of prophecy if you are a christ follower you are to have the fruit of the spirit and one of those fruits is kindness and gentleness and so if we are christ followers our strength our personalities should be swallowed up in that fruit of the spirit probably the greatest witness you can have if you are a parent here with younger children the greatest witness you can have to your children other than talking about Jesus is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 
Because quite frankly, you can talk about Jesus all day long, but if you aren't kind, they don't care. And neither does your colleague at work, neither does your spouse. That's how we live out the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, how we live out what God has called us to do and what he's called us to be. So Amy does that every day on an, in a great way. She's also very, very competent. She has a graduate degree in crisis response and trauma, and she leads the work of Assemblies of God World Missions in their how do we respond to trauma and how do we respond to crisis. As a matter of, as you, as you can imagine, her phone and her inbox have been ringing off the hook and very full over the last several months. And with everything going on around the world, you know, missionaries who've had, we've had missionaries in this process. We've had some missionaries arrested. We had some missionaries stranded. We've had people, we've had parents separated from children. And I don't know a person who is more qualified and competent to answer the phone when in the midst of a crisis than that lady. And so I wish she was here to say hi to you, and she, but she does send her love. Then we have four kids. Uh, that's what the clan looks like these days. They're not really kids, as you can tell. Now, let me introduce them to you one at a time. Our oldest daughter, our only daughter, our oldest child, if you go to that next slide. Uh, this is our daughter, Noor, and her husband, Bass. Uh, she's an Both of them are international school teachers. They live in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, as you can probably tell by looking at Bass, he's actually Egyptian. Uh, She's very artistic. She's a musician. She's a sweetheart. She's going to come and visit us in a couple of uh, weeks, and I am very, very excited. Uh, Bass actually came to America for the very first time this past year at Christmas, and after eating with us, mom and dad were there, after eating with us at you know, our Christmas meal, which we do on Christmas Eve, at the next day he said, I love America. Uh, <laughs> um, I think Bass would love anything if it had good food, good food but um, uh, he's a great young man. We love him. And next slide is our son and his wife, Habib. Habib is, you can tell, very much the conformist. Um, you know, that's a joke. Um, he, he is our musician, you know, artist, all of those things, very creative. I remember the day that Habib was probably about 15 maybe 16 years old, and I'd taken him out for breakfast one morning. We were sitting down, we were chatting, and, you know, Dad just sort of just life on life, and I, you know, he was getting ready to, he was probably like a junior in high school, and he was thinking about what he wanted to do with his life, and so I asked him, I said, hey, buddy, you know, as you're thinking about the future, have you, I'm sure you give thought to what you might like to do with your life, and he, he said, yeah, and I'm like, he had this kind of sheepish look on his face, and I'm like, what are you thinking? And he goes, well, I'd really like to be a musician. Parents? You know, I'm sitting there going, um, hmm, yeah, you know, on the outside I'm going, keep the, de keep the right face, keep the right face, keep the right face, you know. You know, show support to your child, show support to your son, you know. On the inside I'm thinking, that's great, I don't want you living with me the rest of your life, you know. Uh, good news is, is he no longer wants to be a musician. Um, He's actually found the one job that has less job security than a musician. He now wants to be a poet. Um, you know, um, but he's married, so he's her problem. Uh, and uh, like, just kidding. Uh, it, we are very, very thankful for them. As a matter of fact, you know, it, it, I'd rather my children love Christ than I, I really don't 
what they do with their life. I mean, I want them to, I want them to be everything what God wants them to be. I want them to do everything God wants them to do. I want them to use the gifts that God has given them for his glory. But whether they work at, you know, someplace that doesn't, the world doesn't elevate or they sit at the head of a corporate board table, either one, th- those are God's preferences and God's perfect. All that, that, that they love Jesus is the primary thing, you know, and so I'm thankful for them. That's our daughter, Jennifer, our daughter-in-law, Jennifer, and she's a uh, counselor, a therapist, and she does a great job of bringing help and hope to people on a daily basis. Uh, then we have our middle son, Nabil, um, business major, athletic, funny, compassionate. We always joke about Nabil. He's our kid who is most likely to cry with you or to hit you in the head, because um, whatever he feels, he feels passionately. Uh, you know, he's a business major. I remember one day he said, Dad, I just believe God has called me to make a ton of money. <laughs> and, you know, that's actually very biblical. You know, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's a very great biblical way of living your life. I said, buddy, I think that's absolutely amazing. Two things I want you to remember, though. He's like, he leans in. He's like, okay, what, what are those, Dad? I said, first thing. I said, God can trust way more people with poverty than he can trust with riches. So if God gives you wealth, use it for his glory. He said, that's great, Dad. Thank you. I said, he said, what's the next thing? I said, my account number, 2485522. You know. He says, I got you, Dad. Then we have our youngest son, Ahmad. Uh, he's a... He's just now going into his junior year. He's very scientifically minded. He's a, um, he's a phenomenal student. They pay him to go to school. You know, a full-ride scholarship, chemical engineering major, honors program, all of that. Um, unfortunately, he's also a prodigal. Very, very far away from Jesus. And so um, we just pray that you might, uh, as you think about it, pray for him on a daily basis. Um, or at least occasionally, if you think about it. My phone, I have two alarms set on my phone that go off every day. One of them goes off at 10.02. That's based on Luke 10.2, where Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field. So I pause every day at 10.02 a.m. and uh, pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest fields, the places we're going to talk about today. And then the second time is 4.06 in the afternoon. And that's based on Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that God would turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons, that he would bring prodigals home to himself. And so all of them are gone, well, most of the time because of COVID, we've got, he's at home now, but most of the time they're gone. So we became empty nesters. And what do empty nesters do? We decided to be selfless, and so we decided to adopt. Yeah, let me show you our newest member of the family. There we go. Um, yeah. I finally got a kid that looks like me. Uh, but he, she behaves like the rest of them, so, you know. Uh, you know. It's a lot of fun. Why do I spend so much time on an introduction like this? It's not because I think that my family is more special than yours. It's not that... I want to simply introduce you to the family. Two things behind this. One, I want you to know what motivates my heart. 
You know, I've had the opportunity in my life to carry uh, some titles that sometimes people will look at and they'll go, you know, that's impressive, that sort of thing. You know, the only two titles that mean anything to me on this earth are husband and father. Child of God is something that well, I will carry over into eternity. Husband and father, I get them for a very short time on this earth. And those are the titles that mean something to me. I also want to build a bridge between you and me, between what you probably think of when you think of a missionary and what you maybe where you see yourself right now. I mean, I appreciate the kind words that Jason said about hearing me speak and saying, you know, I thought I've never done anything for God. The truth is that sends the bad kind of chills down my spine. Because I know exactly how normal I am. You know, I, I go places, people introduce me. A few years ago, I was the area, for many years, 10 years or so, I was the area director for the Middle East, North Africa. Uh, that meant I oversaw all of our strategic development and our missionaries in the 18 countries of the Arab world. And I always, pastors, I'm going to speak somewhere, they'll ask me to send a bio, you know, so they can read through and give me an introduction. And, Clearly, this pastor, even though I'd sent it to him, busy people, hadn't had a chance to look at the bio. And so I think he looked at it as like he was walking up on the stage to introduce me. And so he gets up there and he's like, our speaker today is Mark Renfro. He's, um, um, he's in charge of the Middle East. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I'm getting a raise, uh, you know. And then I thought about the condition of the Middle East and said, I'm getting fired. Uh, you know, titles don't mean squat. Truth is, you know, I sound way better in my introduction than I am in person. I know the person that looks back at me in the mirror every day. You know, I know that he lives, as we're going to talk at one point in this message today, in Romans chapter 7. You know, the things that I want to do, I don't always find myself doing. And the very things I don't want to do, sometimes I find myself doing. You know, I, I put my pants on one leg at a time, and sometimes I stick both legs in the same hole. <laughs> and God uses me in spite of it. And so the point of all of this is that if you feel insignificant and incompetent, then you are in a good place. Because what you are saying to God is, Lord, take my gifts, take what you have given me, and use me for your glory. Where he places us is his doing. What we do with the place he has placed us is our doing. You know, just a really small tangent here. We, we sang a lot this morning about freedom. That's a good thing. Christ has set us free. Thanks be to God. But he hasn't set us free for freedom's sake. He's broken the chain so that we might actually do something. That we might honor him. We might glorify him in our bodies. Paul says it doesn't even matter if I live or if I die. What is important is that God is glorified in my body. 
You know, we sang this morning about it's going to be something like it. In the end, it's going to work out all right. Something to that effect. Yeah, it is. But according to Hebrews chapter 11, working out okay doesn't always look like we want it to. That's where surrender to God comes into play. Why am I saying this? Because this morning as I speak, I'm hoping that God will speak to some of you about going to places and doing things amongst peoples where Jesus has not been manifested. And if he does, it's going to require not only commitment, not only sacrifice, but it's probably going to require suffering. And if you equate a lack of suffering, if you equate comfort with an anointing from God, then you have missed the whole point of why Christ has set us free. We have eternity to enjoy being in the presence of Jesus and to enjoy perfect comfort. Do not compromise the gospel by equating comfort with abundant life. The people I know who look the most like Jesus and do the most for the sake of his kingdom are those who have been willing to suffer. This morning I want to unpack quickly, and it will be quickly, our, my personal story of how I came into missions. I, I prayed about this morning, thinking about what I was going to do. I've known I was going to be here for months and thought about what I was going to do and pray and most of you don't know me, and even if you did, you may not know how we wound up doing this. And so I wanted to take just a few minutes, and I want to walk you through this, not for the sake of my story, but I'm hoping that somehow in my story you'll see yourself. Now, you may think, Mark, I, I could never be up on the platform. I can't. How am I going to see myself like that? Well, to start with, just so you know, I graduated from high school, never read a book from cover to cover. I should have gotten a PhD for the book reports I wrote, you know, that, about books I'd never read, but you know, never read a book from cover to cover. It was when I got saved that God not only set my heart on fire, but he also set my mind on fire. That God calls us to worship him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That I moved in my understanding that God had not called me simply to salvation, but he had called me to discipleship. Nowhere in scripture will you find go out and make converts. We are called to make disciples. Disciples are students who sit at the feet of their master. Not sitting at the feet of their master in the sense of, Oh, Lord, just teach me. But after they've been taught, they actually go out and do something. You know, I, I, I don't actually like, we, we use the word sometimes in, in church and in Christian life, and I get it. There's an element of it that's accurate, but we talk a lot about surrender. I prefer submission. And here's why. If you, if you take the concept of surrender too far, then what you think of is that when you come to Christ, let's imagine we're talking, I don't know, 1400 AD, and we're looking at you know, some king sitting on a throne, and you know, this vanquished, defeated, 
foe comes and brings their sword before the king gets down on their knees, lays the sword down, that's surrender. It's defeat. It says, okay, I'm done. I'm not fighting anymore. That's not what God calls us to. What God calls us to is surrender, which is where you bring your sword, you bow, you hold your sword in your hand and you say, no longer am I going to fight my battles, I'm going to fight your battles. And that's what God has called us to do, to fight his battles with him. I've discovered that we have one purpose. You've been having messages over the last several weeks about Unity, one, you know, your one body, you got all these things, the one elements. Well, today we're talking about one purpose, and I'm going to take a few minutes in Scripture to tell you how we get to that. When we ask ourselves the question, a question like that, of what is that purpose, I, have, we, I ask you the question of where do you go to to get the answers to that? Well, we certainly don't go to our culture. Because if we ask our culture to tell us what's important in life, what our purpose should be, we'll get all kinds of mixed messages and most of them are wrong. We don't go to our emotions. Our emotions make great employees but terrible bosses. We don't serve our emotions, our emotions serve us. If you're, if, if you're human, you have emotions. Scripture shows God reflecting things that we would call emotions, anger, compassion. So if you are a, a Christ follower and you don't have an emotional outlet to your, there's something broken inside of you. However, if you're all emotion and no mind, there's also something broken. So we are called to bring these two together. It's through the renewing of our minds, through Scripture, that we're actually able to address important questions like this. For me, the biggest question is I was growing in my discipleship process, and I felt like God was speaking to me about going into ministry. The biggest question I had was, what about those who have never heard? Now, maybe for you, that's not a question you think about it. It ought to be. My heart then, and to be honest, even today, wishes my emotional side longs for an answer that says they're okay. Mostly because if that is the case, then I carry no personal responsibility. If those who have never heard the gospel, who are Hindus or Buddhist or Muslim, if there is a way for them in their own religious system to find peace with God and to spend eternity in heaven with God, then it takes the personal responsibility off of me. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to leave comfort. My parents don't have to live their life with their only child and their only grandchildren 8,000 miles away.
but my emotions can't be what drive that. My own reasoning and rationalities can't be what driving. What has to drive the answer to the question is the word of God. So I want to take you quickly through this pilgrimage that I went on. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to go through several verses here, but don't worry. I'm not going to preach the whole book of Romans. Um, Martin Luther used, it's what brought about the Great Reformation. So don't worry, I'm not going to try to do in you know, a few minutes what he did in decades. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my long dead favorite writers, uh, wrote, a, I think it's a 16-volume commentary on the book of Romans. So I don't think we're going to exhaust it today. Um, But I do want us to look at a few things. So when we talk about whether or not the lost who are apart from God, because here's the answer, here's the question you get. Would God send someone to hell who's never heard the message of the gospel? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever thought that? You're liars. Or you don't think deeply. Because that's a question we all ought to ask. Because missions isn't a program of your church. Sorry, there isn't a program in the world that's going to make me leave my home country and go somewhere else to serve amongst people who oftentimes don't even want to hear the message of the gospel. It wasn't Paul, it was, Paul was quite happy. I, I can imagine, you know, Paul coming to faith in Christ, living in Jerusalem, But he said, I felt compelled. Why? Well, this is why. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made, what has been made, so that people who are, so that people are without excuse. Paul's writing about the people who have, today we would say those who have no revelation. They don't have scripture. The only revelation they have is what we refer to in theological terms as general revelation. There's two types of revelation. There's general revelation and there's specific revelation. This is general revelation. This is going out in the middle of the night when it's You know, if you've ever gone like way out of town where there's not a lot of light pollution, particularly if you've ever gone out to a desert area, you know, I've had a chance to travel along, you know, some pretty um, deserted desert type places in southern Jordan and Iraq and places and going out where there's no electricity anywhere around. Look up in the heavens and the, the skies are so clear that you can actually see the slur of the Milky Way. I mean, you can see thousands of stars at one time. It's absolutely amazing. God says that when you look into the sky and you see that, something inside of your heart says there is something out there bigger than you. But God also says in Scripture that instead of seeking the Creator, we worship the creation. So that those people who only have that general revelation instead of that revelation moving them closer to God, it moves them closer to idolatry. So Paul addresses those who don't have Scripture. Romans 2, he starts talking about, he's talking primarily here about the Jews, 
but he's talking now about those who do have revelation. He says, you therefore have no excuse. Remember, he's talking to people who are, in this case, believers, most of whom are from a Jewish background. So they have the Old Testament at this point. You therefore have no excuse who have passed judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, I know none of you would ever do this, but occasionally in Christian circles, people have been known to have a little bit of a critical spirit to look at other people and point the finger in them and go, do you see what he did? Do you see what she did? Do you see what she was wearing? Do you see, you know, I know none of that exists here. What's Paul saying? He's saying every time you, knowing what is right, see something wrong in somebody else, rather than convicting them, you are convicting yourself. So those who don't have, those who only have general revelation are guilty before God. Those who have scripture are guilty before God. Next verse, I think it's verse 12. Yeah. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So what does this mean? It means that whatever revelation you have, that's what God will use to judge you with. Did you respond accurately to and appropriately to the revelation that you had? And here's the bad part. The answer is no. In yourself, whether you had the law or you didn't have the law, whether you had scripture or you didn't have the scripture, whether you grew up under the shadow of, you know, the church and you heard the gospel all the time, or you lived somewhere where you had no access to the gospel, even in, the, even in a place like America where you, you may have had access, but you didn't, you didn't have, you weren't familiar with the gospel regardless. Romans chapter 3 puts it so clear and painful there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God I have noticed that I have not gotten a single amen in about five minutes and I'm not surprised because let's face it folks before you can have the good news you got to come to reality with the bad news Jesus didn't call sinners to himself so that they might simply have a better version of their own life. He calls us to himself to understand that apart from the working of the gospel, we have no hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul puts it this way. We were without hope and without God in this world. We were miserable here and we're going to be more miserable in the future. Apart from the gospel. 
But Romans chapter four and five lay out God's grace. They talk about how we as sinners experience God's grace. And instead of our own righteousness, which is so messed up, we're never going to be able to stand before God because see, we don't compare ourselves to other people. I can find, you know, even if I live a really, really bad life, I mean a terrible life, I can find somebody worse than me. And today, all I have to do to find that person is to go on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever the, you know, some of you are going, what is he talking about? And everybody else is going, yeah, of course, you know, Facebook, that's for old people, you know, that's what the young people are thinking, of which I am not one, as you can tell. Um, we can always find people who are worse off than we are, who are more broken than we are. But see, we don't compare ourselves to ourselves. We don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to the justice and the righteousness of God, which is perfect. God says that you are to live up to his standard. And what is his standard? His standard is perfection. Anybody ever been perfect? Anybody come, I mean, anybody not need God's grace to even show up here today? As you were involved in praying and worshiping this morning, did God probably speak into your heart about something that maybe you'd need to deal with? Most of us take the approach of the old cartoonist who showed the guy who had taken a bow and arrow and fired it into the side of the barn and then he'd gone out and painted a bullseye around it. That's our view of moral perfection. We live our life and then paint the bullseye around it. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. Occasionally, somebody might die for a good man. <laughs> Nobody dies for a bad man except Jesus. That God, in his great love, sent his son to die for his enemies. Why is this so important? It's because we never, ever, ever, ever outgrow the gospel. It is so easy to look at peoples and places around the world, to look at Muslim fundamentalists who are involved in violence and say, look at those terrible people. When you start resonating with that, when you start thinking that, you have stopped preaching the gospel to yourself. You do not understand that your righteousness is no better than theirs that it is the gospel that has redeemed you, that you live daily dependent upon, that they need. Romans 4 and 5 talk about God's righteousness imparted to us. Romans 6 talks about our part in right living. You know, it doesn't just set us free so that we'd be free, but he set us free so that we no longer have to live as slaves to sin. 
And that's the terminology he uses. He says, we were once slaves to sin, but we have died. We have been resurrected and now we offer our bodies as servants to God. We were slaves, now we are bond servants. When we were slaves, we had no choice. Now that we have been redeemed, we are servants, but it's our choice to live that way. And oh, how I wish that Jesus was the only one who ever came up out of the grave, but I discover on a daily basis that so does my flesh. But Romans chapter 6 says that when I was baptized, I was baptized into his death. And when I came up out of the water, I was raised to new life. But occasionally, my flesh still tries to do the exact same thing. Sometimes people come up to me after a service like this and they'll want to be involved in some form of ministry and they'll say, Brother Mark, I want to do something for God, but I got this issue. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect. My finances are a mess. I got this. I got that. I got that. Folks, we are much more likely to outgrow in the spirit the things that bind us, not by constantly looking in the mirror and going, there's something messed up about me, but by actually moving and walking away from those things. By engaging for Christ, we find victory. Romans chapter 7, of course, says those things, the things I want to do, I don't do, things I don't want to do, I do. But then, of course, Romans 8, that wonderful passage. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We are more than conquerors. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can live victorious. Why? Why do we live victorious? Why does God do this for us? So that we can simply come to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and enjoy God's presence. That's a benefit. When you go to work for a company and you serve and you, you do well, it's not because of the benefits that you serve. It's so that the production of what you do might actually bring about an end result. The, the fringe benefits are what you enjoy, but they are not the purpose for you going to work. Coming to Christ, coming to church, enjoying his presence, enjoying the fellowship of the body, those are benefits, but they are not the purpose. Our purpose of having been set free are so that we can proclaim God's glory amongst his people and amongst those who have not known. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, 13, 13, 14, and 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's a really good place for all of us to say amen. Because if you are in Christ, if you have called on the name of the Lord, you have been saved. Praise be to Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. For so many Christ followers, it stops right there. 
How then do you call on him in whom they have not heard? How do they call on him and they have not heard? How do they call on, so how do they call on him in whom they have not believed? How do they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How do they hear without a preacher and how do they preach unless they're sent? Those who have the gospel, those who had the law were apart from the law, were apart from God's salvation. Those who didn't have the law were apart from God's salvation. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to die on the cross so that those who believe might have eternal life. But he narrowed it down through finding hope and faith through the preaching of God's word. So the question isn't, What happens to those who have not heard? The question is, what are those who have heard and responding doing with what they have heard? Put that map up on the screen if you would. This is a picture of the continent of Africa, of course, you know that. Those dots represent people groups. Now, when I say a people group, I'm talking about a unique ethno-linguistic group. They are a, they're, their own race, their own ethnicity, and they speak a different language. In the world today, we have about 14,000 people groups. In Matthew chapter 28... Verse 18, 19, and 20, we read one of the occasions of what we would call the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all, what's it say in Scripture? Nations. Very good. Thank you. Somebody knows their Bible. But he's not talking about geopolitical groups here. If you look at the Greek of that, what he says is go and make Disciples of all ta ethne. That word nations is translated, that word that it comes from is ta ethne. What, what word do you hear there? Ethnic. What God is saying in scripture, what Jesus was saying is, go out and make disciples of every single people group. We were talking this morning back in the office before we came out. We were talking about how this denomination that we're part of came together in 1914 for one purpose. I mean, because if you know anything about the history of the Pentecostal movement, you know that when people came into the fullness of the Spirit, most of them that came out of mainline denominational churches, they were, they were ostracized. They were kicked out. They weren't welcome. And so coming out of that woundedness, how many of you know wounded people wound people? Coming out of that woundedness, they weren't exactly thrilled about coming back together and forming another denomination because denominations had hurt them. But we have to move past those kind of things. And so they understood that as single little groups scattered all over the world, all over the United States at that time, they couldn't take the gospel to the rest of the world. So in order to do that, they were actually going to have to band together so that they could multiply their resources to actually send out missionaries. 
1914, they come together, they formed the, what became the Assemblies of God. That first year, they had their second general council, two general councils in one year, because they, they realized, okay, we, maybe we messed up on some things, we need to fix some things here. So second general council takes place in Stone Church, Chicago. This small group of believers, I mean, by this point, there's like a thousand or so people there. Still small when you think about the size of the United States. Definitely small when you think about the size of the world. That group, 1914, says, we have made a decision. We commit ourselves. These are their words. We commit ourselves to the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen, giving priority to the Pauline example of preaching Christ where he has not been known. The tenacity, the temerity. To sit in a place like Chicago where most people have, at that point have never been on an airplane. I mean, airplanes don't even exist for commercial purposes. I mean, when you went overseas, you got on a boat. Those early missionaries that went to Africa, put their, they put their belongings, they packed their belongings in their caskets because most of them never expected to return to America. And all of that green down there represents all of those places where people have, the message of the gospel has been preached and accepted. Those are reached people groups. The church is strong in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, people say they want to go to places like Kenya and do missions. I'm like, go to a place like Kenya, but don't think of it as doing missions. You'll probably benefit more from being in their churches than they will with you coming. Because the church today, when you think about the global church, the church is strongest south and east. Latin America, Africa, and China. Strongest representations of the kingdom of God today. But there's a problem. That band up there, you can see them where almost you could draw a line across the African continent. That's where the Christian South butts up against the Muslim North. People talk to me even, you know, all these years later. Most of the time they did it when I was young and had little kids. They were so cute, you know, and we were going overseas. We were going to a place in most of their minds they, was think, they were thinking of is dangerous. They'd come to us and they'd say, you know, you're going to take these little kids you know, you're going to take them to the Middle East. You're going to take them to the Muslim world. Yeah, well, the easy places are taken. Jesus didn't say go and make disciples in all the easy places. He said go and make disciples of all nations. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach Christ where he has not been known. If you're a business person in this room, you get the fact that you don't go and start a business of one type right next to a business of that same type. Because if you do, you're going to, you're going to fail. 
but we put Christians next to Christians next to Christians. We become little cluster groups. Jesus wants to send us out, folks. He wants to send us to those who have never heard. Yes, God loves people in Atlanta just as much as he loves those in the Muslim world. If you go to that next slide. However, the lost in this city, they have you, they have churches, they have Christian media, and they have a lack of persecution. So not only do they have access to the gospel, they don't have any barriers to accepting it. If you go to that next slide. So in short, they have access to the gospel. So it's not a case, this is not the case in the Muslim world where they not only do they not have the message of the gospel, not only do they not have acceptance of the gospel, they don't have access to the message of the gospel. I want to close today by telling you a story. I'll tell you two quick stories. First of all, I want to tell you about two little boys. They're fictitious, but their stories are real enough that they're lived out on a daily basis. So the first little boy, his name is Mikey. Mikey grew up in America. He grew up in a place where, you know, in the wintertime it's cold. You know, places like New York. You know, Smyrna, that's where you're originally from, right? That part of the country. There was a reason why you came south. You know, you went to, you know, God's chosen frozen. You went to come south. Middle of the wintertime, Mikey's grandparents, parents are talking. They're saying, what do we do? You know, we don't get away from this. So they decide to go down to Disney World. They go down. They're having a good time. They're walking around the pool. Mikey's two years old. Like any two-year-old, way more energy than wisdom. Running around the edge of the pool. One day they're just taking a day off from the parks and they're enjoying the pool. Mikey's running around having a good time. There are people in the water that know how to swim. Mikey's parents are there. They know how to swim. Mikey's grandparents are there and they know how to swim. Everybody around practically knows how to swim. There are people sitting around, you know, enjoying the pool, but they're watching all the kids. There's even some life jackets or, you know, lifeguard things hanging up on the wall. And in some places, maybe there's even a lifeguard. Mikey's running around the pool, gets a little bit too close to the edge out on the deep end of the pool and he falls into the water. Now, my question to you is, is Mikey at risk? Yes, absolutely. Mikey is at risk. However, the only way Mikey could actually perish is if people standing around and in the pool were morally irresponsible. That's what it's like to grow up within access of the gospel. Are there people in America who have never heard the gospel? Yes, but only because the church is being morally and spiritually irresponsible. Now, let me take you to that other kid. His name is Muhammad. Muhammad grew up in Aleppo, Syria. 
The only sound he has heard every day in his life is the sound of his mother and the sound of bombs. Even today, he lives in a neighborhood of Syria and a neighborhood of Aleppo where this civil war that has dragged out now for nine years is continuing to go and he still hears this sort of thing. His parents finally say, we can't take this anymore. So they sell everything that they own. They're allowed one small suitcase for the adults. They spend $5,000 a piece for quote unquote tickets that they pay to a human smuggler who's gonna take them from the city of Tartus on the Syrian coast over to one of the Greek isles where they think that if they can get there, maybe they can get refugee status and eventually they can make it to mainland Greece. And eventually it may take them a couple of years, but they can get that refugee status and then get out of the refugee camp. And eventually they can actually become European citizens and Mikey might, I mean, Muhammad might have a better life ahead of him. So they sell everything that they have. They go down to this place and they discover that this man who is this human trafficker, who's a a very bad man, instead of selling 20 places on the boat that's made for 20 people, he sold 40. And of course, there's no life jackets. These people grew up in a desert. They've never seen a swimming pool. They certainly don't know how to swim. What they're doing is illegal, so they can't go out in the daytime where the Shore patrol will see them, so they have to go out at night with no lights. And the best time to go out is not only at night, but when there's a storm because of the lack of visibility, the shore patrols that are out can't see them. So those are the kind of nights they go out on. So they find one of those nights. It's dark, it's windy, it's rainy. They all get inside the boat, they push out. Muhammad's father is on the edge of the boat. Muhammad's mother is sitting there. She's holding little Muhammad in her arms. They go out across the water, it's pitch black. They're headed over to the island of Lesbos in the Greek Isles. And there's, they're heading across there. They come up, they're bouncing across these waves. They come across one of those waves and they hit hard. And when they hit, Muhammad's mother and Muhammad flip off the edge of the boat and they land in the water. Now remember, it's pitch black unethical person at the wheel nobody knows how to swim no life jackets what's Muhammad's chances of survival zero that's the difference between growing up with access to the gospel and growing up with no access to the gospel both are at risk but one has hope The other, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, has no hope and no knowledge of God in this world. So what are you going to do with that? For me, it meant coming to that understanding that those who have never heard the gospel are eternally damned. And the responsibility for that does not rest on God, it rests on me as his, Christ, as his follower. 
it certainly meant that I needed to give like I've never given before. And to do that not only means saying yes to some things, it also means saying no to some things because I don't think anybody in this room has so many material resources that they can say every, yes to everything and still have the money that they want to have to give. So in order to say yes to the right things, you have to say no, not necessarily to the wrong things. Not just, we're not talking about sin here, folks. We tend to make things so it's sinful or it's good. No, just not saying ice cream's not sinful. But if I want to lose weight, it's not beneficial. So I have to say no to some things so I can say yes to some things. For some of you, your response to this message today is you understand that God loves those people who have never heard the message of the gospel is that you need to adjust what you do with your finances in such a way so that you are saying no to some things so that you can say yes to the right things. Some of you need to buckle down in your prayer life. Not just praying for yourself. When was the last time you cried a tear that your heart was broken for somebody who's never heard the message of the gospel? For me, it not only meant those two things, it also meant going. I remember the day that it happened. I'd gone, I was sitting in the library at the school I was going to. Felt like God was speaking to my heart. I looked, was thumbing my way through a magazine. It's a Christian missions magazine. And there were two ads in the magazine. One of them said, ignorance isn't bliss, it's hell. flipped on some more pages, the very last page in the magazine, the back cover. Same ad, same company, same organization, different ad. It said 32,000 Muslims died and went to hell yesterday and you probably don't care. My normal way of praying is to walk and pray because I get distracted too easily. But that night... I left the library, I went back to my apartment, my little bedroom in my apartment that I shared with a roommate. And that night, in submission, I got down on my knees and I volunteered. Folks, some of you are looking for lightning and thunder and writing on the walls to respond to God's call he has given it to you in his word. He has called every single one of us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the way we do that is through 
making disciples of all nations. Now, God hasn't called every single one of us to be a missionary. But he's called all of us to have an apostolic heart. And the fact that of those 14,000 people groups in the world today, 6,000, about 6,800 of them remain glory void. They remain unreached, no access to the gospel. They remain like Muhammad. Apart from the gospel, that tells me that God's speaking to a lot more people than are going. So this morning, I am asking that you would respond. That you would drive a stake in the ground of your heart today by saying, Lord, whatever you call me to do, I will do. That will start with small obediences. Jesus never calls you to go and make disciples on the other side of the world when you aren't making disciples of your neighbor. So this morning, that's where we start. We start by saying, yes, Lord. We start by doing what he's called us to do locally. And then we take everything, every condition that we've placed on God, we take those away. Because at the end of the day, when we set the conditions and we say, Lord, I'll do this, this, and this, but I won't do that, what we've said is, I'm Lord of my life and not you. And so today, what we're doing is we're actually living up to what we sing on a weekly basis, is we're actually making Jesus Lord of our lives. Pastor Jason, if you'd come, I'm going to pray a prayer over the folks. We've got some baptisms and things to go tonight, but Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for them sticking with me through this message. I know it's a different message stylistically than what they're used to, but Lord, your word is what's alive and powerful. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of our successes and our failures. You're worthy of our joys and our tears. Lord, you're worthy of our lives. You said you bought us with your blood. You bought us. You purchased us so that we might glorify you. Lord, there are so many peoples and places today where your name is not known. Lord, I think of the Berbers of North Africa. Lord, I think of the Somali people. I think of the Afar of Ethiopia and Eritrea. I think of the Moors of Mauritania. Lord, I think of the Cape Malay of South Africa. Lord, so many people groups who have yet to hear the message of the gospel. Lord, may you convict us of our complacency and may you motivate us to do your work in your name and in your power for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.